Hello and welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. My name is Anders and in this episode I'm speaking with American artist and songwriter Jeff Wasserman. Now, Jeff grew up in New York, but he has been living in Norway since the early 80s, where he has been enjoying a very successful career as a songwriter for big Norwegian artists like Dance with a Stranger, Jonas Fjell and Silly Nergård, just to name a few. But in uh, recent years, though, he has uh, returned to his roots as an artist and a songwriter in the world of uh, eclectic acoustic folk music. Uh, and he has released two albums uh, with his own uh, tunes, um, Jeffrey and the Free Radicals from 2009 and The Meeting of the Waters from 2018. In uh, this conversation, we talk about his career as a songwriter for uh, major artists, and how streaming and the changes in the industry in recent years has impacted his work. And we of course also talk about his uh, solo releases and uh, his return to writing and performing folk tunes. Uh, and we also go into his diverse musical background. So yeah, this episode is uh, sort of taken from the archives. Uh, it was part of a uh, live event at the Norwegian Showcase Festival Folkelheim in 2021, almost exactly one year ago. Uh, for various reasons it never got published, but um, I'm really happy that we finally got to bring you this conversation with Jeff because I think we touch on a lot of interesting things here. So, With all that said, please enjoy my conversation with Jeff Wasserman. Welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. My name is Anders, and uh, for this episode, we're doing things a bit differently. Uh, I'm actually at uh, the Norwegian Folk Music Showcase event Folkelarm, and we're recording this uh, episode in front of a very enthusiastic uh, audience. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> and this is the second day of uh, the festival, and I have to confess, I'm a bit tired. Me too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a bit late last night. But uh, looking forward to speak with some interesting people here and listen to some nice uh, live music in a while. Um, but the first track uh, we will listen to just now is um, a track from an album called Meeting of the Waters by um, American uh, musician Jeff Wasserman. And he's actually here with me, so please give him a nice big welcome. Welcome, Jeff. How you feel? Yeah, Anders. Good morning to you. Yeah, good morning. Yeah. I think I'm in the same shape as you are. Yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah. That's um, that's how it goes on these networking events, isn't it? Like, <laughs> yeah, it is. So um, that's a very nice piece of music we heard uh, in the opening. There, can you tell us something about it? Yeah. Um, well, it's called "Him to Her." Was the name of the tune, and um, some of you might have actually heard that there was a second voice in there. Um, Paul Brady was nice enough to lend his voice to it. Yeah. And uh, I guess the, the, the whole concept of the album, The, the Meeting of the Waters, was basically uh, I decided to pull all the threads of my illustrious career. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's, let's wind back a bit because um, you're American, but you've been living in Norway for more than 30 years. Is that right? More than 30 years, yes. And... Uh, you you've been sort of in uh, you in the background of the Norwegian music scene for many years as a songwriter. You've written some f- 
very famous songs that most Norwegians would know yeah. uh, for bands like uh, Dance with a Stranger and, um, and Bump. But Silinego and people like that, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but um, your work as a solo artist—that's a more recent thing, is it? Like, how how did that all get started? Well, I've always been playing um, <clears throat> folk music. It's really sort of like it's the uh, yeah, it's it's my center. It's what I uh, started out doing, and when I came to Norway, I was playing folk music, and I was traveling around for at that time Edikskonsertene, which is the state concert commission, and playing in schools and teaching kids about everything from. Uh, yeah, old Delta blues and jug band music, all the way up to, you know, fiddle tunes and, and uh, old ballads and things like that. And I did that for years. But that was my day job. My night job was writing lyrics for, for pop bands. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I didn't, uh, I was actually living off of that quite nice, you know, decently, you know. Uh, never got rich, never got poor, though. Um and um, at some point, I guess uh, around the time when streaming started taking over, my, I saw my royalties like sort of going down to a point where I realized I needed to do something else. Yeah, you could really feel that impact of like the, oh, the yeah. revenue oh, yeah. going away. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, for many different reasons. I mean, the fact that's that an interesting aspect for us. Like, I'm a musician myself, and like, um, I know back in the 90s and early 2000s, you could actually make a fair bit of money selling music, like, but you also had the live part of the, of the job as well. So mm. when revenue from recorded music started to decline, me and most other musicians kind of had to gig more yeah. or like find other, other ways to earn money. But you as a songwriter, yeah. like, I suppose the whole like, foundation of your business model just started like, crippling away. Well, yeah, and for two different reasons. I mean, uh, it could be that the track... Or that you wrote for an album ended up at the bottom of the like song number eight or nine or what, what have you. But in the old days, you made a mechanical, you made a certain amount of money for every physical that was example that was sold. Yeah. Come the days of streaming, um, you know, it was like the first three got played, one, two, and three got played, or and and, um, and they generated revenue, and those uh, consequently were the tunes that a band would go out and play. Mm. because they got the most play. So then you weren't getting as much live. It, it's sort of like this bad circle. Yeah. But at any rate, so I, need, I needed to do something else. I'd always, I'd been playing in bands. I'd, you know, I'd been play, playing in a swing bluegrass band for many years, uh, but I was always a band player. I never got serious about myself as, as a, an artist, but I had a whole treasure trove of songs that, that, uh, that other artists had never recorded. They were too folky, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, you told me that uh, Norwegian guitarist Knut Reishu called you up one day. Yeah, Knut's an old friend of mine. Um, I write for, I write, I do a lot of lyric writing for him, and sort of also just a bit of arranging for him. But um, and he was over for dinner, and you know, whenever he comes over for dinner, we could take out the guitars and play. And I played him a bunch of these songs, and then one day I got a phone call from him. I said, I booked studio, and I thought I assumed he was talking about booking for his band and that he needed more lyrics. He goes, no, I want you to come down. I said, why? He goes, because you're going to, it's the yours for your songs. And I went, what? And he said, who's going to sing? He goes, you. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I always looked at myself as a sometimes singer-songwriter, you know, but um, uh, 
yeah, so, so I did. I, I recorded a record with his band, and then um, I added a couple of people. Uh, I had uh, so I have some friends from up in Woodstock, Cindy Cash Dollar and Garth Hudson, add some stuff afterwards, and uh, that was Jeffrey and the Free Radicals, and that was we did we did four gigs. Yeah. And then uh, I went back to doing what I did, and then I decided, no, it's time to do what I really want to do, all acoustic, folk music-based, and, uh, you know, damn the torpedoes, I'll just do and see what, see what happens. Cool. Yeah. And then your newest album is, is this one? Uh, yeah. Called The Meeting of the Waters. Yeah. What, what does the title uh, mean? Well, actually, I, there's a, a song I wrote called The Meeting of the Waters, and I wrote it when I was on a ferry going into um, Gudvangen. If anybody's ever seen Gudvangen, it's just incredible. And I was, it was springtime, and I, I was watching all the, uh, you know, as the snows were melting and all the, all the little brooks were turning into streams and the streams, you know, and, and everything was coming down, you know, and I thought to myself sort of metaphorically what this could mean, you know, like in terms of... Uh, um, yeah, where sort of everything comes together, and I decided that okay, there I'm gonna I'm gonna write this song and I'll do an album, and and where I tie all the threads of my of my life and all the people I've played with, and and uh, I include first person I called was my my mentor Jeff Davis. Yeah, who, who's he? Uh, well, this ties into a bunch of things, but Jeff Davis was the guy who, when he was 21 and I was I must have been it was in high school. He came to our school with a guy named Jeff Warner, whose father was a somewhat famed folk music collector. Um, and they came and they did a program, a school program. And I looked up and I, and I, I looked at them and I said, I want to do that. You know, that's what I want to do with my life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. You know, and afterwards I went, uh, I found out there was a place where they both talked called the Guitar Workshop in Roslyn, New York, on, on the north shore of Long Island. And I lived in Oyster Bay, which wasn't too far, a small little town. Far, uh, and so I went and studied there, studied, I learned how to play, and then eventually became a teacher there. And that's actually how I met Paul Brady. Okay, really? Yeah. Paul Brady got stuck in, um, he was playing in a band called the Johnstons. And uh, they got shipwrecked, or just uh, they got shipwrecked. They broke up yeah. while on tour in New York. And he had, he was penniless, and he got uh, so the the guitar workshop gave him a job as a guitar instructor. Really? Yeah, yeah. It was in nineteen seventy, nineteen seventy, something like that. Sixty nine, something. Yeah. Cool. So uh, Jeff Davis, like, uh, he's a fiddle player, is he? He's a banjo and fiddle player and uh, a, a, quite a, a respected collector of music. He digs up a lot of, like, obscure tunes and, yeah. and songs, and a lot of people go to him for that. He's, 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 he doesn't market himself. He's not out there, like, saying, hey, here I am, Mr. Folk Music. He, but he's done a lot of work for the Smithsonian, and he's, you know, he's and a great guy. It seems to me like a lot of your music is inspired by fiddle music, by like fiddle tunes. It is. That tune that you just heard is actually <laughs> a pretty standard dance tune called the, the, the Arkansas Traveler, which is a reel. And I slowed it down and turned it into a waltz. And um, I think it's the, the, see if I remember it, but the, uh, the basic tune is like,
It's, I'm, this is a very strange tuning. I'm, I'm sorry, I should have been in a normal tuning. But, but that's... Here's my hymn to her. I use both the A part and the, um, and the B part as the music for the song. Is that a common, uh, common approach for you when writing tunes? Um, no, it's a, uh, it's a common approach for me to use fiddle tunes, pieces of fiddle tunes, um, uh, whole fiddle tunes, obscure fiddle tunes, and, and write lyrics over that mm. and, um, sometimes, and somehow man- manipulate them. That's, uh, and it turns out when I spoke to Paul, he also does that. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, and he's a songwriter, he writes pop songs as well, yeah. so. That's another question I have for you, like, I tend to write a bit of music myself, but uh, I always struggled with writing lyrics. I find that very hard. Yeah. Uh, I always, every time I sit down with a paper and a pen, it just comes out some cheesy love stuff I've heard on other people's records. Yeah. Do you have any advice for people, like, how, how do you start writing good lyrics? Take a course with me. Yeah, well, there. That's, a, that's the true American for you. No, no, no. It's a, the, the truth, you know, the thing is, it was not my master plan to like to get good at writing lyrics, but what ended up happening after I wrote for these other, by chance, these other bands that sold a lot is that there was, there at that time there were very few English-speaking songwriters living in Norway, and I there was a bit of a tsunami of artists that came to me, and and I had so much work, and you know the ten thousand hour rule. Mm. And now it's been, uh, actually I've been in Norway 37 years, to be honest with you. Uh, but over that time, I think I've written over 400 lyrics. Yeah. And then by that time you should get fairly decent at it, you know? So, I mean... So I, unfortunately I, the answer is just practice? No, but, but actually what I was getting to is that I've actually had a look at it. What is it that actually makes a successful lyric, you know? And I'll just put it to you this way. It's really simple. It's like you got to take, you have a responsibility to the listener, number one. And you've got to take them from something, through something, to something. That's pretty simple. Uh, and, and um, yeah, the, the, you, you should not repeat, you, you shouldn't uh, paraphrase what you've said before. You know, it's like painting a picture. You know, you, you don't want to waste your strokes. Is it hard coming up with things to say? No, you just need to li- live a very colorful life and yeah. there's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, so um, this is, the, this is the, 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 your new album and there's a very impressive lineup on this album, I have to say. A lot of my favorite artists are actually on it, including Andy Irvine, Jonas Fjell, Espen Hazelius, um, yeah, just loads of Paul Brady even. Uh, must be hard getting all these guys on the road. <laughs> no, I never got them on the road. I, I, I had to pare it down into... Um, that's why I had to start up my own band around it. I was, I couldn't, that's totally unrealistic. You'd never get those people on the road. I mean, um, so I... The, the band you're going to hear tonight, Jeffrey's Reverie, is based around that record. And they're all... Multi-instrumentalists, I think, we, and they're all, um, and they can handle all the instruments that were on that record. So we basically started this band to sort of represent the record, and now we've been doing it since 2018. We've we've actually started c- 
creating our own stuff. So we, we've been in the studio and recorded a new record with this band, Jeffrey's Reverie, which uh, it's one of the best. Uh, I haven't had so much fun in decades. It's a fan fantastic group of people to be around. So, yeah. So when, when is the show tonight for people? Uh, it's 10 past 8 tonight. Nice. At, uh, up in the uh, Hoovid, Hoovid Senas, yeah. It's great, then. Yeah, yeah, so it's, uh, it's going to be fun. So um, this album is available on, on uh, vinyl and CD, but you have not put it on Spotify. No. Or any other online platform. Is there a reasoning behind that? Yeah. And that is because they're just stealing our money. You know, you don't make anything. It's you just you're just giving you're just giving it away, and it's it's just sort of like a calling card. I spent too much time on it. You know, I I, I put a higher. I got so pissed off that I went around. I I, I printed up 300 CDs, and I signed the CDs, you know, by hand because my mother my mother is a painter, and so I, I and and, I, and she used to make prints, and she would have like a numbered series. So I said, okay, I'll do that. And hand numbered, and then I, I sold them for double the price, and I sold all three hundred of them. Because oh, yeah. well, <laughs> I, I said, you know, you walk into a, a you walk into a Burger King and and you order a, a hamburger for like I don't know, fifty kroner, and you you get what you expect. If you go into a gourmet restaurant, you're willing to spend two hundred kroner on a on a glorified sort of hamburger. Mm. So that's that was my logic. So, and and it, and it worked. And and uh, then, but then what happened was I, I print uh, the money that I got from the CDs I used to print up that LP that you see there, and um, actually went and had it uh, had it sent down to Germany for uh, to be a, a la as, as a lacquer cut, you know, so it'd be warmer and everything. It did everything, you know, everything you're supposed to do to make it a high quality. And then the pandemic came. Yeah. So I, I had sold fifty. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the last two years, like, uh. Yeah, because it's easier to sell them on the road, I I assume. Yeah, they they sell it at concerts, and um, so but that, that's but an I mean I I feel like I think that's an interesting approach because as musicians we feel like we have to make all of our music available for everyone all the time, uh, and there's I mean there's so there's so much music out there so. <laughs> I mean, the the danger is that, okay, if they can't listen to my music, they'll just listen to someone else's music. Mm. But I admit, it takes some guts doing what you're doing and say, okay, this music isn't for everyone. It's actually for the people who are willing to invest in it. Yeah. So I, I respect that. I, I appreciate people doing that stuff. Yeah, I, I did, however, put out on Spotify, I put out, I made it like a sample of, like, it's a 10-minute overview of the entire record. You know, I, I wove together the, you know, and so they can hear what the record's like. I put it up as an advertisement, you know. That I put, I put up on Spotify. But the plan is when I'm done selling the CDs, the, the LPs, I will archive it on Spotify. Because, you know, every single track that you put up on, on, a, on Spotify or Tidal, whatever, is, is it, there's like 60,000 a day. We're burying ourselves deeper and deeper and deeper with more and more songs, especially in the kind of music that, that we all play here. Uh, pop music has no problem rising to the top, but uh, folk music, jazz, all that stuff—that—that's—that's uh, uh, that's just being covered over by more songs. Yeah, oh, it's tricky. But um, 
yeah, I don't think we'll solve that question today. No, no, we won't solve it. But, but anyway, that was my, my strategy. Whether it works or not, I don't know. I, I, this, this next record that we're doing with Jeffrey's Reverie, uh, I don't know if we have enough money to actually print it up, you know. So please buy the, what's left of uh, the, the rest of the, the, the <laughs> Meeting of the Waters LP. Where can people buy it if they want to? Um, right now, it's, uh, you can get it online at uh, Jeff wasserman.no or at big dipper records cool jeff thanks for coming on the show i wish you good luck with your uh, concert showcase concert tonight thank you for having me thank you and thank you for putting up with my lame fiddle tune there but uh <laughs> <laughs> but uh i hope to see you all tonight and uh have a great festival great i'll see you around take care you got it take care man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folk Music Podcast. As always, please visit our website to learn more at thefolkmusicpodcast.com. If you have feedback, criticism, or ideas, please uh, reach out to us on thefolkmusicpodcast at gmail.com or um, find us on social media. That's all for this week, though. I'll let you go now with another track from uh, Jeff's recent album, uh, The Meeting of the Waters. And uh, I'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Folk Music Podcast. Take care. Bye-bye.